ultimately, the power of blockchain is to enable the convergence of all these different verticals, right? And that fits large-scale gaming really, really well. If you look at the gaming today, game is not just about the game mechanics and entertainment aspects, right? A lot of the games are actually social networks themselves. Morning and welcome to another episode of the IDK Show. So I'm your host today. The IDK Show is hosted by Buzid Dao. We're a DAO that focuses on building experiences for people in Web3, especially those with a connection to Taiwan. Just a quick alpha drop. We're going to be launching Taipei Blockchain Week again this December. So check out our websites for a sneak peek into the theme. Very excited for that. And today we have Evan Cheng, co-founder and CEO of Sui and Mistin Labs. You're previously at Apple and then of course at Meta, which is where this all started. How are you doing today? <laughs> good, good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hi everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. I'd love to dive into how you got started building Mistin Labs and Sui. Well, so this uh, requires some history. Uh, so my history has always been, you know, I get into stay inside big companies and focus on technology, you know, back in the days, you know, I kind of uh, done some work in, you know, I wouldn't say revolutionized, but made a very big difference in uh, how a lot of co-generation and compiler technology get involved and, you know, and that gets built out a lot on programming language, um, get used a lot by the programming language community and used by a lot of different things, right? It's running on every smart devices out there in, in the world right now. So I always have an appreciation for uh, kind of deep, you know, hard problems and and always sort of stay in, in that space until I get to uh, have some exposure to crypto back in, I think it's like right around 2016, 2017s when I started looking at it. Like a lot of people, initially, I was just curious, right? And once I got sort of the, the mental virus, I realized the potential. Um, and uh, typical, you know, for me, at least typically, I, I, I kind of start digging deep into the technology, especially around uh, Ethereum and at that time. And my observation is initially focus a lot on Solidity and UVN, which is, to be frank, I'm still pretty horrified by the design and a lot of things about the language. Um, but the cat is on the back, right? And I think there's just so many fundamental mistakes that was made there. And I was, you know, my opinion is there's holds. Uh, and then the more I dive deeper, you know, broader into sort of the blockchain space, the more I realize you know, where the promise is great, right? And and I truly believe in the decentralized internet, uh, moving the internet back to more this peer-to-peer -peer coordination model. Uh, and I believe blockchain has a key role to play there. I just fundamentally did not believe the, you know, the technology is anywhere near ready um, back then and now. Right, pretty much the case. But this is where I get started, right? And I always just sort of register in my head, say, like, okay, this is a great opportunity. Not only am I really interested in, in what this can do for you know the impact I have, but also I see this as an opportunity for me to leverage my skills uh, to do something big in the space. So I kind of stayed very close to that space for a number of years you know, work with a number of projects, 
you know, entertain ideas of, you know, joining a startup or doing my startup. Up until the time where, you know, Facebook's internal sort of blockchain crypto enthusiast group, uh, when I was inviting people to come to go talk and I start getting notice. So when the Libra project was being planned, got connected with people uh, kind of thinking about starting the program, I realized this is a great opportunity for me. Um, so I didn't believe I was able to gather the kind of serious uh, technical team I need to do something big if I were to just go out into the startup world. Uh, but I know Facebook, given its reputation at the time, given its reach, you know, given its deep pockets, can help you know, give me a platform to attract the top talent. Uh, and that's, that's what got me started, right? I, I, I stepped into the, the Libra project. Uh, you know, I initially was tasked of building out the developer platform, as well as the research team focused on a lot of the most cutting edge uh, technology aspects. Uh, so that got me started. I built out the team. You know, the, that's a genesis move, right? My co-founder Sam Blackshear was was there. Was early one of the earlier, you know, team members. You know, we we sort of talk a lot about the strategy we take, right? Do we use something existing, like Wasm? Do we use build something for the ground up? That that led us down the the move path. I still remember the the debates about the naming of the the the, the programming language and all that. Uh, at the same time, I was building up, you know, other parts of the team, you know, which allowed, results in a lot of innovation that, that's in the suite today, um, so, and, and more. Um, so, so that, that's sort of how I got started uh, down this journey. I love that. Yeah, there's so many, so much I want to dive into there, like the developer community that you're building and how you had that structure thought out from the very beginning. Also, um, the issues with you know EVM and um, the current state of crypto in general, I think it would be kind of fun to dive into like how you came up with the name Move. Let's do that first. So how, how did you come up with that? I, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Uh, I, I think the I don't even know where who came up with the name. I remember back then we initially internally a same name, the Tulip. Uh, sort of it's a it's a playful thing, right? Because the Tulip Mania from, from many years ago. What we internally call it at the time, uh, that obviously wasn't going to make it out, right? You know, the, the uh, Facebook's uh, legal team would never have allowed that to happen, but it was a, it's a playful name. You know, Move worked, right? There was a lot of different ideas. Uh, you know, initially I thought it would be too generic a word for programming language, but now, now it's actually quite well known. So kudos to the team to for for making it happen. I remember I had some ideas which didn't end up winning. Even though I was um, sort of managing the team, I, I didn't force it on the team on the team to, to choose my name. So move one up. And a great choice, super cashy. So then what about the, I guess, motivations behind building, building move out? What were the core issues that you were seeing in VM or, you know, what, what was happening at the space in the time? Were these issues for the developers trying to build on top of the chain or are these issues for users? Obviously, there's issues in yeah. both. <laughs> so I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, so, so if you think about it, right, if you want to have a smart contract language, you, you have to first understand what are some most important kind of functionalities, right? What is trying to convey? What is the difference from a general purpose programming language, right? So we understand you need to have this concept to, 
to describe what an asset is, right? So this is one of the biggest criticisms with Solidity initially, right? It's just like, well, how do you express something, you know, model something to be an asset, right? What's the first, it should be a first class concept, what it is, right? Uh, same, so first it's a language, move is a language for programming scarcity, right? It's an asset, right? Which has a lot of different characteristics than other general programming language concept, right? An asset cannot be created out of thin air. It usually has a limit on how, how many instances are there. You can drop on the ground, right? You gotta have uh, the language you need to enforce a lot of you know, rules around the asset, right? Double spending is, is a concept because again, it's an asset. You need to have a language to describe, you know, concept to describe access control. You know, who owns it? How do you transfer ownership? Who gets to view it? And all these things, right? So these are, from a language design point of view, very, very essential. Uh, and none of these things exist in, in any of the other smart contract languages. Uh, maybe it has changed now, but, but it, it didn't exist back then. So, so the other question is, well, why not use you know, other existing program language and, and maybe building a, a subset or super set on top of that. Uh, well, then, then you have to think about metering, right? Gath metering, you got to think about how the runtime enforce a lot of these uh, property we just talked about. Then you realize, you know, all the benefit you will, you know, kind of gain by using existing language will, will go away, right? Because by the time you add, make all these changes, you know, a lot of the the benefit will be gone, right? You have to rebuild a lot of things in tooling and everything else. Anyway, so this is this has got to be something that's small enough, got to be designed for verification in mind, which is another thing that we 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 decide very early on, right? For for something like smart contract, it's it's meant to be used to write critical, you know, software that could last for forever, right? And they their jobs is to manage. Sometimes assets worth a lot of money, right? There's a highly, highly mission critical. We want to design language that's verifiable, formally verifiable. If you're using a lot of existing program language, that makes things very, very hard, right? You know, you cannot have any kind of undefined behavior. Any kind of any defined behavior will be exported as as bugs. So, so many, many requirements there. You know, after we're going through this process and educating ourselves and thinking through these problems. It was obvious, right? We need to design something that's, uh, you know, first a bicode language, right? And then you can iterate and build different kind of source language on top, right? But the bicode language you need to have a lot of these property it has to be verifiable. You know, kind of enforcement has to be done at runtime because you cannot depend on programmer to get all these details right, as we've seen over and over again on Solidity, right? Same kind of bugs, you know, a lot of times just you forget to check somewhere Right, you forgot the order of certain things need to happen, you know, at the same time, and you forgot about that, and that those those mistakes gets exploited to the tune of, you know, massive loss of assets. Uh, that's that's the decision, right? And you know, once we understand that, you know, it's a no-brainer to build it ourselves. And fortunately, you know, we were able to hire some real, real experts in this space. Sam himself, obviously, was the the designer. The, the person driving the entire developmental move, but we brought out a lot of expertise, you know, from academia, from research, from other large companies within Facebook, everything from 
compiler experts, runtime expert, people who know how to write, you know, kind of runtime verification. Borrow checker was a major innovation uh, that we did, we implemented. People who understand formal verification, understand tooling. It took, took very, very substantial kind of investments, a lot of talent to build this up. And the result, I think, speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm very, I feel like this is the the chain that uh, everybody's waiting for this year to come out um, on mainnet. You were talking about, I guess, like the core foundations of the move language. So verification, uh, asset management, and then things are being enforced at runtime instead of comparing to other chains that verify on another layer before like... Um... Uh, well, the, I was t- t- talking mostly about the, the smart contract uh, layer, okay. right? Yeah. So, for example, Solidity, a lot of times the mistakes are in the contract you forget to check. You forget some, some, some trivial checks, uh, ownership checks, for example, these things get exploited. Re-entrancy problem is still the, one of the dominant uh, kind of, you know, attack factors in Solidity. These things should be designed away. Uh, they are not, they're impossible to, hap- to happen uh, in language like Move versus, well, they're very very difficult to catch uh, all the possible preliminations of attack vectors uh, in a language like Solidity. So I have very, very, I'm very, very skeptical any mission critical uh, kind of contract will ever be last in Solidity because it's just like, a, uh, the way I call it is a programmable foot gun. Uh, it's basically designed <laughs> The programmer shoot themselves in the foot, right? And people spending all the effort on doing, you know, gas optimization, they have to dive into low-level details and how to, you know, understand how the runtime works, how the pro, you know, compiler works to be to be able to squeeze, you know, a little bit more performance and lower the gas fee. Those are, you know, you must have heard the term, right? Premature optimization. They tend to lead to bugs, uh, and sometimes innocent. You know, changes lead to catastrophic uh, mistakes. Um, so, from a language point of view, it's just these things should never exist. It should never be possible in the first place. You should never have things like you know, kind of dynamic. I, I don't want to go into deep too deep there. Um, that's just, in my opinion, very very big design mistakes. Okay, very interesting. Then we can start diving into maybe how this code is built for specific builders in the space. I want to start with games. I feel like a lot of my experience so far playing around with Sui have been centered around like gamification, um, games itself. Many of the builders that I've been meeting in the space are focused on gaming. Are there specific features that I think support that type of game development on, on this chain? Uh, so, so if you think about you know, maybe take a step back, right? So mm-hmm. why are, you know, a lot of games getting built on Sui? There, there's a very clear and obvious answer that there is all the other blockchains are not suitable for stateful applications. Uh, what I mean by that, right? If you think about what the blockchains are capable today, all the other blockchain, right? You can create some kind of assets on the blockchain, right? It's a token or NFT, what we want to call it. These are static assets. Usually you create them once and you don't ever, ever update them. Why is that, right? Theoretically, even things like ESC721, you can change the assets themselves 
but the reality you don't, right? Because it's extremely expensive and extremely slow. The blockchains have fundamental design flaws that makes it basically impossible to store anything other than just the basic information on chain that represent ownership of something, right? Uh, most NFT, the asset actually, what make an asset an asset, all the states live elsewhere, right? So the token you own, right, boy, you don't actually have much of the data on chain, right? Literally just a pointer to a URL to the asset that lives elsewhere. So you have a fundamental impedance mismatch when you want to build anything that's stateful. So what I mean by stateful, right? So if you think about software, they're complex, and your representation of some object, a virtual object in the product, usually changes over time throughout the progression of the application, right? Again, coming using gaming as example, right? Think about you have a racing game, right? You In the game, you have a car, and you later on, you add bigger tires on the car, you add weapons or laser on top, uh, the car has progressed and gained more experience point, you upgrade to the next level. These are state changes, right? In normal software, complex software, you have something that represents that car and you see that changes over time while you're playing the game. If you try to do that, say I want to put that to be an asset owned by the user and I want to put it on the blockchain, what happens then? Then you have to split them, right? You have to split all the information that make that virtual car what it is, right? The, the levels, you know, what's its current configuration, the color, everything, somewhere, right? Either in your private database or in IPFS or something, then you create an NFT on a blockchain that points to it. So there is a big impedance mismatch, right? It's just very complicated. Whenever you want to change something, you have to figure out, well, what do I change, right? Do I change the private database or do I change the token, right? Or the NFT. What if I want to compose things together? Because people talk about composability. Now my car, I want to add another asset to it, right? I bought something that represents a laser gun I want to put on top of the car. These are two assets combined into one. You can't really do that, right? If you're using this as a blockchain, these two NFT do not combine together. You kind of have to destroy them, create a new one, or, right, this is messy, right? You're, this infrastructure are sort of 2D while software is 3D, right? What do I mean by 2D? Right, the token represent ownership of something, and they're good for transfer between different owners. I sell my NFT to you, the ledger record that transaction. So it's movement of static assets is what the blockchain, current blockchains are good for. But if you're building a stateful application, you also want to track the content, the asset itself undergoing changes over time, right? To really have the, give the ownership to the the end user, then that model completely break apart, right? So when people talk about composability, all these things, it's just, it doesn't actually work, right? So the games look like trading card games, right? They use blockchain for in-game currency or trading card that you create once that represent you have ownership in something. 
but that thing itself doesn't have utility because you really could not record any kind of state changes. You could not record any kind of history on it, right? What do I mean by history, right? Think about if I have an MMORPG, uh, you have five players, you know, trying to take down a boss. All five of them have some kind of weapon, let's say a sword. The one that actually should have more to it, should be worth more, should be a sword to say, okay, this is a sword. This instance of sword is the one that taking down this boss. It's will by Cindy, a famous gamer, streamer. This is worth 10 times more than other swords that looks alike, right? Yeah. If you cannot record all this history in the supposedly the asset the gamers own, do they actually own anything? Right, right. You know, I'm not even diving into the complexity when people think about assets that can be used beyond one prop, one game can be shared by multiple games. Uh, that doesn't work, right? It fundamentally does not work, right? You cannot have private information being exposed to multiple applications. So long answer to your question is the blockchains today simply do not work. When you have anything more complex than modeling static assets, where the only thing you care about is to record the transfer of these mm -hmm. assets. So that's that's why you see a lot of the games getting built on Sweet. We do have a ton, right? We're gonna have a fairly substantial gaming launch partners as a result. Um, for that reason, it's like developer recognize this is really, really a change in functionality over all the other blockchains today. Totally right, because fundamentally that's why NFTs took off because it's, it was meant to be true ownership over digital assets. Like if, if the metadata doesn't exist on that, then is that actual true ownership? So how does, yeah, <laughs> how does, how does that work then? So traditionally people were building off chain because of space issues, gas. How does it change that? I guess. Uh, three has a fundamentally different data model, right? So in EVN chains, first of all, you have a one giant state. Everything is in the Merkle tree. You track everything, including the data. Let's say you wanted to create an NFT of the virtual car. You want to have all these properties, all these trades, right? This blue color, wheel size, and, and all this information, all that in, are in the Merkle tree, which is extraordinarily expensive, right? So blockchain, first of all, you're doing replication. If you have uh, 100 nodes, you're replicating the data 100 times, right? Then you add the overhead of Merkle tree. It's extremely expensive. And the processing of the, all the transactions also follow this model of ordering everything, you know, execute everything, update all the information on the Merkle tree at one time, right? That's just, to be frank, fundamentally wrong. In computer science, anytime you're doing wasteful work, right? You're ordering things that have no relationship to each other, you're shooting yourself either in the foot. You're going to make things very inefficient. And later on, you're trying to fix it by layering other complexity on top of it. It's just the wrong way to build complex systems. So for us, right, the, the data model for SWE is everything is just an object. So during the transaction processing, you, you're targeting transaction target objects. So we kept all the dependency information all the way from the programs all the way down to the processing pipeline. So first of all, this is powerful. The object, because it's a type object, you can define 
the structure object to be whatever you want. Virtual car may have 10 traits, you can list them. RPG character can have 20 different characteristics. That's good. You can define that anyway. The object itself, the storage of objects, can use conventional storage, right? Because the Merkle tree is only being used to track the history of the transactions. You don't need to mm -hmm. use that to store these data, right? The object itself on version, you can see the transaction changes as a result. So it's a very, very de different design, right? Because this maps naturally to complex software, right? Whatever you want to define, you define it as a type. And the type is essentially the interface that can be exported and shared. We demonstrated this example already, right? We have this uh, Cappy game that we produce, which is like CryptoKitty on steroids. Right? <laughs> so we, we have a type that specify what a Cappy look like. And then the objects can be, you can embed, right? Attach other objects to it, right? So you can, you can add Cappy accessory to the Cappy. And these types are published essentially as an interface, as a standard. Rather than having a, a dumbed-down standard like ESC721, you can define your own standard, you can export it, and other projects can say, okay, I like it. I want to add little flags to your copy. I don't need your permission to do so. Composability both at, the, at a completely different level. So I could go on and on. Right, there's a lot more uh, complexity there. When you, but you think about things in software, they tend to be hierarchical, right? In gaming, you know, you have your character, you have inventory. How do you compose things together, right? In our model, it's just objects. So to take a step back, right, to answer your question, um, it's a completely different data model and how we represent assets. So we don't have the sort of scalability limitations as a result. This is a question I just had in mind, but with gaming, a core, I guess, industry that uh, you had in mind when building building this out, or did it just so happen that it was like a perfect fit for how gaming yeah. works? I mean, yes and no, right? I mean, we obviously identify the opportunities, right? You know, people doing a lot of financial products on blockchains, right? DeFi finance, we call on-chain finance is a big vertical, and we know gaming, we identify it as a big vertical. We develop SWE, as we observe, how the industry is evolving, all the interest in gaming, in NFTs and all that is very, very obvious. This will be a, an area we can showcase our strengths and there's a, a great need and there's other verticals like commerce and all that, right? But taking a step back, right? Ultimately, the power of blockchain is to enable the convergence of all these different verticals. And that fits large-scale gaming really, really well. If you look at the gaming today, game is not just about the game mechanics and entertainment aspects, right? A lot of the games are actually social networks themselves. There's a community around them and there's commerce happening inside games, right? Because there are virtual goods being traded, uh, being swapped all the way back to World of Warcraft, right? You know, or maybe even earlier, right? So gaming is a great vertical to demonstrate the power of blockchain because it's entertainment, it's social, it's commerce, it's everything coming together. If you can build a game with a blockchain, you can pretty much build any kind of products with a blockchain, right? It's actually all these different things coming together. Games are like the first step in te testing out concepts. It's also a good way to bring in users. And I feel like I've been seeing that on Sui. Something I think is interesting is how you've kind of gamified 
people being able to, to test out like testnet or devnet i'm talking about frenemies yeah. and the cappies yeah, frenemies. yeah. yeah. <laughs> i actually i was playing around with that it was my first time interacting with the testnet that was like more of game style so it's cool that that's been a way that you guys are building sui for developers and building that like gamification into that yeah it's a good observation right it's totally the case right you know game bring people together a friend of me is a great example, right? People have been talking about why is community important for, you know, for layer one, right? How do people participate in the governance of the, the network? How do they do staking? You know, what does decentralization actually means to us? It's about, hey, if you have tokens, you have voting powers, and you should be able to freely move your votes to someone that represents your interests, right? Mm-hmm. So a friend of me is basically that, right? How do you help your validator, your favorite validator to go up on top of the leaderboard or if your your role is a foe, right, your job is to sabotage them. Right? This is gamification, uh, you know, teaches people what well, game theory, right? How does it actually work? Uh, teach them what on chain governance actually look like. Teach them the, the mechanics of staking and, and staking and all that. So it's a you know, it's very powerful. We had well over a hundred thousand people participating. Uh, in this incredible yeah. uh, another side question but are you are you a big gamer yourself uh, I, I I would say I, I am a big gamer all my, all my life I literally I I got into computer science because I want to be a game developer I, <laughs> nice. it's, it's like a lot of kids right I, I started out playing video games you know I, I still play games all the time don't have as much time as I do uh, before I'm still p- playing Elden Ring, which has been out now almost a year. Uh, nice. I still haven't finished it because I only have a few hours a week uh, to to you know game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately, that's that's a life entrepreneur. So then going back into like Sui for builders, just real quick. But I feel like a, lo- a lot of it has been focused on building out like that developer community and making sure all the resources are there for people that want to start building on Sui. But I guess what are some of like that, those must-haves that you guys had in mind when starting to develop a Sui and how to build this like thriving developer community? So well, first is the technology and the developer experience, right? When we start thinking about this, right, you know, why is it so hard to build smart contracts, right? How, why is it so hard to build uh, Web3 products, right? So a lot of the design of Sui address that. Right, if you have experience looking at three move, right, all variant move is a lot cleaner. It's a lot simpler. Remove a lot of boilerplate code, and you know this object being passed as input, object as output, that just much more natural for anybody coming from traditional programming experience, right? The the object oriented data model also fits that, right? We continue to invest on the tooling, uh, the developer experience have better SDK, better example and documentation, all that, right? This is table stake, right? Have a great product with a developer-focused mindset, um, you know, address their their concerns, continue to improve. The other aspect is engagement, right? This is why you see us continuously engage with uh, the developers who, you know, a lot of programs. Most of the now is in the hands of the Sri Foundation, which is a completely separate entity from Mission Labs now. They're doing the Denver Builder House coming next, and I think the, mm-hmm. in March they have another one. Every month there's another one, right? There's, there's one a, in Taiwan, right? Yeah, there's one in Taiwan. It's a world Exciting. tour. 
Uh, it's very, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's really, really powerful engagement with a builder. It's, you know, it's really about building a community together. The only way you can scale this is have the community support each other, right, yourself. You have developers supporting other developers. Uh, that's when you have the effect, right, and actually have a, a, a vibrant ecosystem. If, you know, a small company like ourselves or the foundation with 10, 20 development relation engineers trying to support the community by themselves, it's impossible. It's really about building up the community and for them to be excited about helping each other and for other organizations to come in and want to help grow the ecosystem. And that's when you have this kind of a acceleration that happens. Mm. So that's, that's our philosophy. Uh, at the same time, right, I think there, there are other aspects that's really important. You know, the foundation putting together a growth program. So ultimately, you know, developer building on SWE or any other blockchains, what they're trying to do, well, they, they try to make a name for themselves, right? They try to make a business, make a living out of itself, right? It's not enough for us to say, here you go, great technology, go build. Um, <laughs> You, they need to know how to turn their idea into products. How do they get their product to be in the hands of consumers? How do they make money? How do they grow in the business? So that, there's that aspect as well. So it really is a very, very big deal to grow, um, to support and grow a, a developer community. The grant program is in place to give some support to the developers so they can afford to take a chance, especially in this space in Web3. A lot of developers are independent developers. They need some funding and they need the support to be able to try their ideas. Uh, so the grant program is there to give them their first, the support, right? The initial support so they can, they can try it. And if they're successful, then, then we help them with, connect them with investors and whatnot to help them they grow their business, grow their teams further. I feel like in crypto, there's a huge thing uh, like, there's a huge like i guess battle cry on like decentralization that you can work remotely but then you can't really replace these like in-person experiences like the sui hacker houses and one thing we're also seeing here in taiwan that i've been working on is building up like a move community developer community and we're really yeah and we're I, I, you can actually see kind of like the effect of having that community be a focus from the foundation um, into like how people build. Um, people are just excited to just to just work on, on whatever ideas they have, and the support is. It, it really does change how like people uh, how people build. So it's very cool to see. I wanted to also hear a little bit more about the. I think you said there was a growth program on top of like a grant program. What what does that entail? Well, so the growth program encompasses uh, probably more the sort of next stage, right? So you know, providing resource for developers. You know, connecting them with vendors, connecting them with other tooling infrastructure builders, connect them with programs to get free AWS credits, for example, right? Uh, you know, and connecting them with um, mentors who can talk them through how to deal with the challenges uh, every entrepreneur faces, connect them with investors and whatnot. Uh, there's going to be accelerator programs, right? A lot of them will be run run by, you know, investors and other programs out there. And that's part of it as well. Uh, so, so that's sort of the growth program, you know, so I'm under the growth program umbrella. Oh, nice. Okay. And then 
from all of these uh, initiatives, are there any any projects or any any like ideas that you've thought are pretty exciting for yourself? Well, they're all exciting in a sense, you <laughs> a lot of ways, right? Um, and that there's a lot of other programs I haven't I haven't talked about. I'll just point out the growth program is, you know, example of our, our mindship, right? I mean, it's what makes make us different. We want to be true partners with developers. We, in this case, is not just, it's Mr. and Sui Foundation. It's everybody involved in, in building our Sui. Partnership is about supporting each other. Uh, and we really, really want to see developers successful. And ultimately, you know, this is a mindset, right? Sui is a developer platform, first and foremost. And the only way for us to be successful is developer come to the platform and they build successful businesses that have lasting impact. That is the only way for SWE, for everybody involving SWE to be really truly successful, right? So we always take this partnership mindset and think about how we can serve our community, how we can work with them, right? So you see us approaching things quite differently uh, as a result. Right. You know, the a lot of the, you know, again, using the growth program that doesn't necessarily result immediately in, you know, sort of more logos on, you know, what are the all the dApps on, on suite. Right. Uh, it's about helping them be successful. We're not buying my share. We're not saying here's some money come bill and we don't care about you, whether you're successful or not. Right. Or we we tie you down with some exclusivity deals. And then guess what? If you're not gaining traction on us, you'll be stuck, right? That is not partnership, right? So our mindset is all around how do we help our developer partners be successful? And that, you know, that that's, you know, about delivering long-term impact. Building a business is hard, right? And we need to sort of share our experience with them you know, how do you address these kind of product problems? How do you address the, the problem we're facing today? You know, how do you use these technologies to acquire customers, uh, engage with customers? You know, how do you grow your program? How do you be successful? And mm -hmm. then we, we get the benefit from it, for sure. But but we're not focused on the near-term immediate ban for, you know, for the buck, so to speak. Right. I, I really like that mindset because what's good for you know, build, building that's building for something that's like good for the entire ecosystem uh, ends up, you know, helping out all the all the players in the space. How do developers be a part of this? Yes. So, so you know, this is uh, the something the Sweet Foundation is working on right now. So it's still early days. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll share more of the information. They will share more the information where it's ready. The key thing for the developer to understand is, well, if they're working on something on the Sweet, how they can get you know, connected with us, right? You know, how can they be part of the, the community? I, I can share more after the recording, some way for them to reach out to be connected with the, the foundation. So that, that's probably the, you know, the, the most important information they, they can take away from here. Okay, great. And that was most of the questions that I had. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Um, yeah, no problem. So. I think the final question is when when mainnet. <laughs> uh, soon, soon, hopefully soon. Um, you know, we're, uh, we we can share the the dates here, and honestly, it's it's ready. When's ready? Uh, wow. We're taking a very 
thoughtful approach uh, in making sure not only are we going to the network is going to be ready, all the you know like validator partners are going to be ready to operate this network. We also want to make sure our ecosystem partners are ready to launch their their products, right? Because a lot of them want to launch at the same time as mainnet. Because mm -hmm. for obvious reason, you want to be early. You want to be showing as you know being being part of the the wave. Uh, so it's a lot of things coordination. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll, we'll share more when we can. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our channel. We're working on some exciting things you don't want to miss out on. Special thanks to Sui Foundation and Mistin Labs for joining us today. Coming up, we've got exciting Taipei Blockchain Week news. We're officially hosting Taipei Blockchain Week 2023. There's a sneak peek into our theme on our site. Make sure to follow Buzidao on Twitter to find out more.